morning. Take out your Bibles with me this morning or your mobile devices. I'm asking you to turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14 this morning as we prepare for our communion service. As you're turning there to Mark chapter 14, uh, I want to give you guys an update on our pledges for our feeding centers. Uh, we have three feeding centers that we fully support as a church uh, in Mexico, the Philippines, and Haiti, and we've been taking those pledges for the last uh, three weeks. Our goal was $3,000 a month for this next year so we can continue to fully support these feeding centers. And I told you guys last week we were at about $2,300, and so we we're about seven. $700 short, and we were praying and believing in faith that we would get the, the rest to get us to 3000 So you guys ready to hear what our final total of our pledges were? You guys ready? Here was our final pledges, $4,441 a month. So we praise God for that. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for making your pledges. Make sure you don't just make a pledge, though, that you, you go ahead and give those pledges. So if you did a monthly or weekly, you can start giving those right away or in September. Uh, some of you pledged a one-time gift. You said, I'm going to forget every month, so I'm going to do it one time. Um, you can go ahead and start uh, bringing those in. We'll try to have those in by the end of September, 1st of October, so we can get those in our totals. And if these pledges all come in, not only are we going to be able to fully fund our commitments to our feeding centers that we have, we're looking at starting some other feeding centers and so we're excited about that we're gonna be talking to a guy from Africa here in a couple of weeks and so we're excited to be able to expand and start more feeding centers reach more kids and families uh, for Jesus Christ so thank you guys so much uh, for that I want to begin this morning as we prepare for our communion service uh, by reading from Mark chapter 14 we just finished uh, three weeks in Mark chapter 13 as we were talking about the end times and then we come to Mark chapter 14 and this is the account of when Jesus in instituted communion. Some call it the Lord's Supper. And, and I, want, I want to read it to you. And we're going to talk about this a little bit today because we never want communion to just be an empty ritual or duty where we just go through the motions. Amen? We, we want, to want it to have meaning. We want to have understanding. Why are we doing this? What is it all about? I believe before you leave today, communion is going to take on a whole new meaning, maybe for some of you, than you've ever had before. But let's start where Jesus started 2,000 years ago when he began this practice of communion. It's in Mark chapter 14, beginning of verse 12. And it says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the what lamb? Passover lamb. This was not just any meal. This was a very special meal they gathered for. His disciples said to Jesus, where do you want us to go and prepare that we may eat the Passover? This was a meal that the Jews had been celebrating once a year for hundreds and hundreds of years since their exodus from their bondage in Egypt. So this wasn't just any meal. And, he, and Jesus sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher, pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as Jesus had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And in verses 17 to 21, Jesus predicts his betrayal. I want us to jump to verse 22, and it says, and as they were eating this Passover meal, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take eat, this is my what church? My body, this is a symbol of my body, and then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it, and he said to them, this is my blood, it's a, it's a symbol, it's a picture of my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, a song, 
they went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, this is a symbol that we're coming to today. It's a symbol of re- remembrance. We, we have different symbols, you know, in our lives today. There's things that people do to symbolize certain things. Uh, right now, the big, you know, fad, the big trend is to do the ice bucket challenge. How many of you guys have done the ice bucket challenge? Okay, raise your hand. Don't be shy. I had somebody uh, this week challenge me, and I did it uh, online. And so if you want to see something really crazy, go watch your pastor, you know, dump, dump water on his head. And it's kind of a symbol that, hey, I'm, I'm supporting and I'm donating to ALS. Well, God has some symbols for us today in the Christian life. There's two very unique, specific symbols that God has given to us to remind us of our salvation, of our faith. One of them is something that for most people, it's a one-time event. Maybe, it, maybe you've done it twice, but most people, it's a one-time event, and it's called baptism. And in baptism, we, we take someone into the water, and we say, buried in the likeness of Jesus' death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, and that baptism in the baptismal waters is a symbol and a picture of our faith in Christ. The baptism doesn't save us, it doesn't forgive us, it reminds us of that which does, which is when we put our faith in Christ. That's why we always make sure someone has truly accepted Christ and put their faith in him before they're baptized, because baptism is simply a symbol. It's an outward expression of our inward faith. If that makes sense, say yes. And that's baptism. And for most of us as Christians, that's a one-time event. But communion is also a symbol and a reminder of our faith in Jesus Christ. The, the bread representing the body of Jesus that was broken for us. The cup representing the blood that was shed. These elements and partaking of them do not save us. They, they, don't have, they have no forgiving power. But when we partake of communion, which happens over and over in the Christian life many times, every time we do this, like baptism, it's a symbol and a picture and a reminder of what does save us. When Jesus Christ gave his body and his blood to forgive our sins. Amen? And they, these are reminders. They're looks back so that we never take them for granted. We never forget them and their significance. I like to call baptism and communion the wedding rings of the Christian life. You know, you put on a wedding ring as a symbol of your commitment to your spouse. Now, if you haven't been married and you go buy a wedding ring, you put it on, it doesn't mean anything. And the same is true for baptism and communion. But when you put your faith in Christ, these have great meanings and they're outward expressions of our inward faith. That's one reason why we believe here at Orchard Church that the Bible is clear that only people who've truly put their faith and trust in Jesus should be baptized and should partake of communion. Because if not, then they're meaningless. If, you, if you've not accepted Christ and you get baptized, you're just getting wet. If, if you've not accepted Christ and you partake of communion, you're just having a little snack. They don't mean anything to you. So we want it to be for people who've accepted Christ. So we respectfully ask this morning, if you're here with us and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ and, and you've not, not done that, we would respectfully ask that you refrain from taking of the elements until they have meaning. Or better yet, why not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning and then take communion with us for the first time? Amen? Amen. And we'll give you an opportunity uh, to do that. You know, I, I grew up in a church uh, as a young boy and celebrating communion, you know, very often several times a year in the church I grew up in. And uh, I remember when I was, was younger, when I was, you know, four, five, six, I hadn't accepted Christ yet. I didn't accept Christ until I was eight years old. And so my mom and dad would say, you need to wait. Uh, take, take communion until you've accepted Christ, and I did that, and then when I was eight, I accepted Christ, and then 
I remember my first communion, I was able to partake of these elements, and I remember that experience and all of those after. And I remember as a boy growing up, after I'd accepted Christ, taking communion, I always knew that the bread represented the body of Jesus, and I always knew that the cup represented the blood of Jesus, but I, I really had no idea of the amazing history of the Lord's Supper and communion. I thought as a boy and even as a teenager, it wasn't until I was an adult and when I went to Bible college did I really fully understand the depth and the meaning of communion and where it came from. And that this wasn't something that Jesus just started out of nothing 2,000 years ago. This was started out of the Passover meal of the Jewish people that they had been doing for hundreds of years. And when I understood that and understood that meal, man, communion from that point on took on a greater meaning in my life. And I want that for you guys. I want that for you today. I want you to understand what Jesus was really trying to accomplish when he instituted communion. So much so that we're gonna show you about a 20-minute video. It's by a man named Ray Vanderland. He's a Bible teacher. He takes groups to Israel, to Jerusalem. And he teaches the Bible in those very places. And he's going to take us today to an upper room where that Passover meal would have been taking place with the disciples 2,000 years ago, where he turned that meal that they had been doing for hundreds of years in the Jewish faith into something brand new. And this is also the bringing together of the Jews' salvation out of their bondage in Egypt and our salvation out of our bondage of sin that comes through Jesus Christ. So we're going to watch this. And I believe it's going to bring deeper meaning to our communion service today and to your life. And then we'll partake of communion together. The Jewish Passover festival is deeply rooted in the events of the exodus from Egypt. If you read that story in the Hebrew Bible, you discover a word that occurs again and again and again. The word is remember. Remember the night you put blood on your door. Remember when the angel of death passed by. Remember when you left Egypt. Remember when you were camped on the shore of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming in the distance. Remember. Remember's a word in Hebrew that's not easy to define. It implies an intense focus in a way that would allow that memory to shape you as you think of it, as you reflect on it. Jesus was a Jew. And so the end of his life was a collection of incredible teachings, unbelievable sacrifice, all focused on that ancient Jewish celebration of Passover. And he too said, do this to remember. Come, let's walk those last few hours with Jesus as he celebrated the Seder and then left and went with his disciples to a night of watching.
We're here today at the place called the Bible Time Center to look at one of the most significant links between the Hebrew Bible experience of God's people, Jesus, and the people that are in him. And that is the experience of the Passover celebration, which on the one hand remembers that great exodus from Egypt and all that God did because of it, and on the other hand becomes the moment that Jesus fits himself clearly into the story and says, I'm now a part of your exodus. Come and be a part of my people. In the Bible, the first time, the first exodus, the first Passover, God brought his people to Sinai. When they were there, one of the things he did was to have the elders sit down for a meal after making a covenant with them or through them with Israel. A meal in that culture was one way of coming together with people who needed to be reconciled and resolving the differences. So it's as if God said, look, this covenant is my way of showing you my mercy and resolving the differences between us. Let's eat together. So in a sense, the Passover meal, the first one, all those in between, Jesus and what Jesus created, is a reminder of reconciliation between God and people and between people and people. But there's another major emphasis, as I'm sure you're aware, and that is that the Passover meal links together the great salvation experience of the Hebrew people with what Jesus came to do. And it provides an incredible picture of who we're called to be. Now, there is a question. Was that Last Supper held during Passover season actually a Passover Seder, a Passover meal? Not everyone agrees. I'd like to show you why I think it was. Come. Let's talk a bit about what that Last Supper was. Question is, first of all, was it a Seder? Was it a Passover meal or just an evening meal during Passover week? Well, I think it was a Seder, even though there is some question. And I think that for a number of reasons. One, in Exodus, God said, have the Passover meal to remember. The key of this is not a big holiday, simply, or a wonderful meal, simply. It was. The key was to remember I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. Jesus came to that meal, and that's one of his key words. Do this to remember. And I think that suggests that the Passover, the Seder, would be the best place to picture remember, because that's what it's about. There's another reason. Notice the matzo. And the trays in front of you, we have matzo, which is unleavened bread. Leaven in the Bible represents sin. So God said, when you leave Egypt, leave Egypt behind. So no leaven at that meal, none, none at all, not even in your houses. So obviously, you use the bread that represents what God asked. And since Jesus is going to make this the picture of his body, it makes perfect sense to have unleavened bread. So that's first. Second, in Jesus' story, wine is mentioned. And more than one cup of wine, one before the meal at least, and one after the meal. And the wine is blessed, things that were done at a Seder. So again, it sounds a bit, maybe quite a bit, like a Seder. Third, at the end of the meal, 
Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn, which is exactly what they did at the end of the Seder. And there's no record they did that at the end of an ordinary meal. Now, it's possible, but it sounds again like a Seder. So for at least those three reasons, I think the writers are trying to say to you, this was a Seder. Now, if you would be more comfortable being seated, feel free at this point, because I'd like to look at now how that Seder meal went. The Passover is built around the number four. It's in Judaism what three is in Christianity. I say three, you say Trinity. Any Christian will do that. Three is not such a significant number in Judaism. Four is. In Exodus, God made four promises, which are the heart of the Passover celebration. Let's imagine we're with Jesus, and somewhere that evening, I am sure they recited the four promises. Say these words after me. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I will bring you out, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will set you free from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. I am the Lord. Very words of God. Four promises. I will take you out. I will set you free. I will redeem you. I will take you. Those four promises are the heart of the Passover celebration. Now think about them a moment. I will take you out from the yoke of the Egyptians meant tomorrow, you Hebrews, you aren't going to be beaten anymore. You don't have to make bricks. They won't throw your babies in the Nile. I'm going to take you out. And you say, yes, praise the God of Abraham. But you get out and you think, but you know what? I'm a slave. I don't know how to act out here. I've never had to make a decision for myself in years. And so God came and said, okay, and I will take your slave nature away. It's like an addict who stops using but still addicted. And then God comes and says, I'll take your addiction too. You won't even want it anymore. And they said, yes. And maybe they thought, but God, we're stained with the sin of Egypt. And God said, you're right. So I will redeem you. I will save you. I will clean you up with an outstretched arm, think Egypt, and mighty acts of judgment. And then maybe someone thought, what if we go back there? And God said, don't worry. I will take you. Remember Sinai and the marriage? I will take you to myself to be my people, and I will be your God. I'll protect you. Those are the four promises. Now, in Judaism, they developed the practice of drinking a cup of wine four times during the meal to remember those four verbs. Take you out, set you free, redeem, and take. Did they have four cups in Jesus' day? Honestly, the answer is we don't know for sure. My belief, my feeling, my understanding, it's more likely they drank at four different points to remember those four promises. So when I talk about four cups, 
I don't know that we can say, like today, there are actually four cups standing in a row. That seems to have come later. But certainly the idea that you drink a sip of wine at the point you remember the four promises can be argued much earlier, even in Jesus' time. So let's look at what happened at the Seder that night in light of those four cups. Picture the disciples, and we've put all men around the table because no women are mentioned, and I don't believe they were there, but at least they aren't mentioned. Picture the disciples reclining around the table. You would begin, of course, by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The great lesson of the Exodus. And Jesus may have added, love your neighbor as yourself. Then you would begin the story, maybe by memory. You start out with that story, and you come to the first promise. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And your eyes flash. Yes! God is going to bring us out. And at that point, the host would bless the cup the first time. One cup, four cups, I don't know. Now, the blessing almost certainly was there by Jesus' time. And we know that because the blessing was decided based on a debate between Hillel and Shammai, and it was resolved in their lifetime. And that's before Jesus' time. So the blessing went like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of everything, for giving us the fruit of the vine. Now, that seems to me to be the cup mentioned in Luke. Jesus takes a cup that he does not turn into the Lord's Supper, and he blesses it at the beginning of the meal. Then we come to the part where we say, I will set you free from being slaves. And just before you start eating, there's a second cup, the cup of being set free from being slaves. I don't see it mentioned in the Bible. Maybe they drank at that moment and went, yes, I hope it's the Romans this year. But praise God, we were set free from the Egyptians. At that point, the meal begins. And the meal begins with a dipping. Now, in the book of Exodus, there are three things required at Passover. Lamb, bread, which we've already mentioned, and bitter herbs. The bitter herbs to remind you of what it was like to be in bondage. I think, if you look in your text, it seems to me that that's the moment at which Jesus chooses to address the issue of his betrayal. So the dipping becomes the dipping in the bitter herbs. And I see him blessing the cup and saying, he will set us free from being slaves. And they're going, yes, that's awesome. And then Jesus said, yes, and one of you is going to turn me over. I don't think they immediately thought, well, it can't be me, because I haven't seen any Romans. I think they thought they would slip up somehow. And they began to say, is it me? Is it me? And Judas asked, is it me? And Peter said, John, ask him who. And Jesus said, it's someone who dips. 
with me. And I think he took a piece of bread, which in their world was the silverware, and he dipped into the bowl of bitter herbs and gave it to Judas. And they tasted the bitterness of a different kind of bondage. It's a powerful teaching if that's the way it went because it's not just well I'll dip with him so you know who it is it wasn't clear because none of them seemed to get it I think Jesus is saying Egypt isn't the only bondage and then comes the meal still the second drinking now the meal while they were eating that's why I think that's exactly where it fit. While they were eating, Luke says, during the meal, Jesus took the matzo and said, this is my body. Now, there's so much teaching in that, we couldn't live long enough to unpackage it. But at least see the stunning moment where he takes something out of the Passover, not to end the Passover, but to say, if you want the picture, put it in the Passover. I think it's a great instruction for Christians to use Passover to help to understand what Jesus said. This, this bread that represents your deliverance from bondage, this bread without yeast, this sinless bread, this bread today, it's striped and wounded. I don't think theirs was, but at least I see this bread is my body, my sacrifice, my offering. Eat it, all of you. Remember me. And every time from then on, they had Passover and had that unusual taste of unleavened bread. They remembered. And now the meal is finished. Now we drink a third time. That cup is called the cup of thanksgiving or blessing. Paul identifies it in Corinthians as the cup Jesus used to institute the Lord's Supper. In Luke it says, after supper, he took the cup. And I can say with some certainty that whatever cup that was, whether it was two or three, we know there's one before, we now know there's one after. Clearly, it's that cup after supper where you remember that great promise. The first one, I took you out. The second one, I set you free. And the third one, I redeemed you. And Jesus took that third cup and said, this cup, this redeem promise, is my blood offered for you. And he made a renewal, a new covenant, tying together Noah and Abraham and Moses and David in him. Drink from it, all of you.
think they sat as you did, in silence. Wow. What is this? It's not in the liturgy. The blood, he said, is poured out for many. That will come back. I think as they sat in silence, they waited for the last cup. That comes at the very end of the meal. That's the cup of, I will take you to myself. You will be my people. I will be your God. Remember take you? That's marriage language. Take you to myself, he says, and brought them to Sinai to marry them. And they waited for that cup, the cup of protection. But Jesus had said, I'm not going to drink again until I drink new. But Jesus, that night in Egypt, the Red Sea is ahead of us. Pharaoh showed up with 600 chariots. We needed God's protection that night. You sure you don't want to drink? I will not drink again. But Jesus, you said one of us will betray you. I heard the Sadducees are plotting. There's Romans out there. Are you sure? I will not drink again. And in some profound way, this rabbi, this Messiah, this Lamb of God, left the Seder without drinking to God's protection. I wonder. So Jesus took the ordinary, I don't know how I dare call it that, Seder, and it became one of the great teaching moments. The bitter herbs, now not only the bondage in Egypt, but whatever your bondage is. Eat bitter herbs this year and realize how terrible bondage is, whatever form it takes. The matzah, now not just bread without yeast, but now the manna from heaven. I tell you the truth, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives forever. If you go back to the first Passover, they were all standing. And when they finished the meal, they waited. The destroyer would pass that night. Hopefully they had blood on the doorpost. But I think after a thousand years of that, most Jewish people thought, when the meal's over, Passover's over. But for Jesus, like the ancient Hebrews the first time. Passover had only just begun. 
And we know that for Jesus, Passover had just begun because after they left that room, the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples crossed the brook Kidron. They went up into the Mount of Olives where there was a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And that was the night that Jesus was arrested, falsely accused, put on trial, beaten, mocked, scourged, spat upon, crown of thorns placed on his head. And then he was nailed to a cross to give his body and his blood for our sins and for our salvation. We know that he did not drink of that fourth cup of protection because he knew what he was about to face for you and I. That's what we come to remember this morning at communion. The body and blood of Jesus that was given for our salvation. We're going to partake of these elements in just a moment together and I'll instruct you when after scripture reading. If you came in and did not receive, you know, the elements during our time of examination, if you'll just raise your hand, we'll make sure and get one to you. But before we partake of communion, we always want to heed the instructions of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, that says this, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning or respecting the Lord's body. So we want to give you a moment of silence right now to just spend some time with the Lord as believers in Jesus Christ. We know that when we put our faith in Jesus, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But we also know that sometimes we still sin. And they can hinder our relationship and fellowship with our Savior. But here's the great news, church. 1 John 1, 9 is still true. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful for that? So if there's anything in your life right now that you need to make right with the Lord, this is the time to do it during this time of examination. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes in an attitude of prayer. and Just, just talk to your Savior. Talk to the Lord. Thank Him for His sacrifice. Confess anything to Him that you need to make right. And as believers are doing that right now, as we prepare for communion, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity to take your first communion with us as a believer, as a child of God, as a brother or sister in Christ. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You can call on him by faith from your heart to God's right now where you sit and as you pray, just say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, be my Lord, be my Savior, come into my life. I want communion to have meaning and purpose because I put my faith and trust in you today. You can talk to the Lord and make that decision right now. Let's spend some time with the Lord. Father, as we 
are joined together as a church family today, we remember your sacrifice for us. Lord, we pray that we would never come to the communion table just going through the motions or going through some empty ritual, but that it would have meaning and significance as we remember what you did for us, that you gave your body and you shed your blood to pay for our sins. You did that to set us free from our sin, to bring us out of the bondage of our sin and flesh, to redeem us to yourself, to reconcile us to you, to tear down that wall of sin that was separating us from you, and to take us as your children and you as our Father. And God, Lord, as we remember your sacrifice today, your body and your blood that are represented in these elements, we also remember that this is a time of fellowship in the church, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ because of our faith in you. And we're grateful for one another, for the love, for the care, for the fellowship, for the ability to worship together, to serve together, to disciple one another. And it reminds us of that fellowship as well and our fellowship with you. Lord, we ask that if there's anything that would make us unworthy today, that you would make us worthy because of what you've done for us, that you would create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit in us as we come to these elements to remember your body and blood. And we thank you and we praise you for them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, if you'll prepare with your bread, your wafer bread that's there on the top of your cup. I'll read scripture and then we'll partake together. Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I love what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians. Not only are we looking back in communion and remembering the body and the blood of Jesus that was shed, but we're also looking forward to the fact that he's coming again. Can we celebrate that, church? He is coming again. Amen. We're going to close in a song of worship and worship through our giving in just a moment. If you're a first-time guest today, thank you for being with us in this very special Sunday communion service. Um, if you filled out your guest card, you can drop that in the offering bucket and receive our gifts in just a moment. Um, we thank you for being here and being our, our guest today in this service. If you made a decision for Christ today, uh, please let us know about that on your connection card so we can continue to pray for you, uh, send you some material in the mail. We have a lot to celebrate. We have a lot to praise the Lord for as we remember what he did and remember that he's coming again. Let's stand as we close in some time of worship and worship through our giving. God bless you guys.